Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. I know I can always be reminded of having a reason to praise. And in the middle of uncertainty is we're in this series of what does the Bible say? So we're looking at topics and and you can pen to paper what does the Bible say about uncertainty this morning. Uh, but if you wanna really put a, a subtitle to it, how to have joy in uncertainty. And here in a moment, we're going to, I want you just to immerse yourself in a gospel reading today. I want you just to put yourself in Peter's shoes uh, of this moment of uncertainty that he faces and what Jesus teaches him through it. You know, I'm so thankful that when we're found in uncertain moments and times, uh, that we're never left alone. Even in our failure in the uncertainty, when we choose wrong, we get overwhelmed. He's still there to pick us back up and to speak truth. You're welcome to close your eyes and just put yourself in the place of, of the story. Maybe feel and sense some of what Peter's emotions would be. You know, this is how I, I love to study and read privately, but as the word today is uh, proclaimed publicly, allow it just to um, penetrate your soul. As Hebrew says, let it cut through that bone and that marrow. Let it get into the nooks, whatever a nook and cranny is of your life and permeate that uncertainty this morning. So this is the gospel reading in Matthew 14, 22, and it's when Peter steps out of the boat to walk on water. It says this, it says, and immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. When he sent the people home, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on water. What a miracle. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, as we would all be, they were terrified. And in this fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and began to walk on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why do you doubt me? 
Verse 32, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Jesus, as we look at this gospel story of where Peter faced uncertainty, God, let it speak to us today. Let us understand uncertainty and see where joy is applied to be an antidote to uncertainty in our lives. God, I thank you for what you're doing at Gathering Place in this season, in this moment, in this hour. Strengthen us, forge us, speak to us. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his presence, we need his power, and we wanna know who he is, what he's saying in this hour. Open the word of God to us like never before. Let it be our guiding light in a dark and dreary world. We love you, Jesus. We bow before you. You are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. We honor you in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, as we jump into the topic today, um, as I said, I, I want you to really pinpoint the places of uncertainty that you're walking through. I know in my life personally, there's, there's seasons and times where uncertainty is at a high level. And there's other places where there's more certainty, maybe there's more control. You can kind of forecast what the next few weeks or the months or seasons or year will look like. But we know in this life that we live in a world that is uncertain. And if anything we've seen in the last few years, we've seen systems, programs, leaders, moments, institutions, platforms that you would perceive as certain, but how uncertainty came in and things were shaken, things crumbled. Um, and in that place, great things came out of it, but also in that place, there was destruction or um, things were deconstructed to a place of no longer existing or uh, systems and things were deconstructed to where they no longer have trust, integrity, or respect. And so we know we live in a world of how do we handle uncertainty? How do we walk in uncertainty? Especially as Christians, the call's much higher that we just don't go after preacher comforts. We don't just go after pleasure to keep us comfortable, to keep us kind of with the malaise. See, there's a malaise that we can be fooled by to think we're in control. We got it all together. I know what the future will look like. But as you see how quickly things can change in our families, in our workplaces, in our churches, in our relationships, we're reminded quickly we don't have all the answers. We can't uh, forecast what even tomorrow will look like. But when it comes to the opposite of uncertainty, but to certainty, is we can begin to take it one moment, one day at a time. And thank God that there is grace for today. There is grace for this moment that wants to be infused, deposited, and integrated into your life. We see quickly several things we learn very practically from the story. Number one is peace is not found in the absence of the storm, but in the presence of Jesus. You're gonna have storms. Stop trying to 
um, push them off, but understand when they come, get as quickly to Jesus as you can. When Jesus bid Peter to come, he didn't calm the storm. Rather, he invited Peter out into the storm, into the rough seas. Number two, faith requires stepping out of the boat. We like comfort. We like safety. And that's not all a bad thing, but we often overinflate our desire for these things. Three, when, without Jesus, you're going to sink. We know this. Peter's walk on the water was short-lived and it was short-lived because he took his eyes off of Jesus. Peter learned an important lesson that day that we can't ignore. And lastly, worship has to be our response. And maybe this is the most important response we see from Peter. And is a caveat or a side note, I want you to think of this as well. Because oftentimes we see Peter as a failure. We see Peter screwed up here. Um, Peter missed it, what Jesus was trying to teach him. But what I see is you get your eyes off of Peter and you get them onto Jesus of how good of a gracious, loving, kind God who came down and put his hand into the water and pulled Peter up, even in his failure. So getting back to the places of uncertainty, when Jesus is your center and your focus, that even if you fail in uncertain times, guess who you have on your side? Guess who is still in your boat? Guess who is still swifter the feet of grace to come and to pick you back up? See, I believe uncertainty paralyzes us. When we have failed in places and moments of uncertainty, there are some of you in here today, you are still paralyzed because of a choice, a response, a behavior, an attitude, a mindset that was developed in an uncertain place that the Spirit of God is saying today, it's time to let that thing go it's time to get back in the boat, get your eyes back on Jesus, and break the back of uncertainty. I'm telling you, if you can get this in your spirit today, inflation won't keep you down. The wrong politician won't keep you down. The circumstances of life won't keep you down. The storms are going to rage. The waves are going to come. The winds are going to blow. But you can have a place of certainty that no circumstance can happen. Let's think about joy for a minute. And as we get into what mitigates uncertainty, I genuinely believe, based off what God's word says, that it is understanding joy and how to have joy in uncertainty. There's a great theologian by the name of uh, G.K. Chesterton. And he has a writing well-regarded, and his big idea in this writing is the gigantic secret to successful Christian living is joy. That it is the secret sauce, it is the formula to live a successful Christian life. You see, the thing about joy is it's not happiness. The two get put together, the two get crossroaded, the two get caught up in the crosshairs that joy feels a lot like happiness. Well, here's what happiness, why it leaves you high and dry, is because it derives from the word happenstance. So that means it happens by accident. You ever finally get the thing you labored for, you put in the hours for, you worked hard for, you get it, and you get a moment of bliss or a, a euphoric type of accomplishment, but within a few days, maybe a few weeks, maybe the buyer's remorse starts to kick in, 
And that happenstance, that point of happiness, can leave you very quickly. And see, we live, we got to understand, we live in a culture, in a world, in a country that's founded on the pursuit of happiness. So happiness is integrated, and I'm not against happiness. We all strive for it, and we attain it, and, and God uses it. But what I'm saying is don't let it be inflated out of the place it's supposed to be. Don't let a good thing become a God thing, right? That it has its rightful order. And so we've got to really break apart the two to make sure we're not mixing up happiness and joy. There was a study done, and it interviewed Americans, and they asked, are you happy? Are you happy with the way your life is going and the way your life has gone? And the number was 69% that they found who said, no, I'm not happy. So we live in a world that pursues happiness, that strives greatly to attain it. But as you look at the inner workings and behind the closed doors, people aren't happy, especially in a post-COVID world, right? Everyone's got anger. Everyone's short-tempered. Everyone's wick is short, right? Especially... Um, in so many different, you, you went to a restaurant a few months after everything back opened, you don't step on anybody's toes because you don't know what's gonna happen because everyone is just on edge trying to survive and make it. I even think about our, our, our school. We shut down for a while, then we opened back up. You had to relearn things, get everybody back up and going. And there was just a lot of unlearning and a lot of relearning. Things changed the way we did things, the pace we did them at. <laughs> And we kind of are still living in the wake of that, where there's just this angerness, there's this pervasive bitterness, there's this cynicism, there's um, a critical spirit that wants to rob you of deep, profound, full joy. So happiness has its place, but as Christians, we go to a fuller, better picture, and it's to a place of joy. You see, I, I think we can think of happiness a lot of like this, and at least I've said it like this before. I'll be happy when, insert thing, is over. I'll be happy when this credit card is paid off. I'll be happy when my kids get out of diapers. I'll be happy, you see how we kind of put this thing on here, when this thing is done, then I'll be happy. Well, we're so happy we're, just got our kids out of diapers. We're having another one and going right back into it. So your pastor's happy this morning. Right. But we can have this mindset of once I accomplish said thing or said goal, then happiness can come into my life. But as we see in the story of, of Peter, the gospel story, is happiness, rather joy, can be attained and can actually be seen to its fullest potential in the middle of the storm. And when it actually comes to life and is that fruit can be eaten of. So don't overinflate happiness, comfort, pleasure. They all have their place. But don't be deceived because Jesus is wanting to get us to a place of joy. There's two ways of looking at the world. And it can be understood like this. Number one, God doesn't exist and you can do anything you want because nothing matters. So this isn't the heart 
pulse or the mindset of the believer. We believe God exists. God became man in Jesus, lived a sinless life on earth, died on the cross for our sin, rose again three days later, ascended into heaven, sent us his Holy Spirit. And now we live in the age between when the first coming was and awaiting the second coming, right? We believe God became man in Jesus. Everyone shook your head and said, yes, awesome. So we don't have the mindset that God doesn't exist and you can do anything you want because nothing matters. But those that aren't Christians or maybe casual Christians who who haven't understood the fullness of their relationship with Jesus, they might not say it, but maybe their fruit shows it, that they live in a way as though they act God doesn't even exist. But for the believer, for the follower of Christ, the Christian, we live in this way. This is our worldview. God does exist. I can't do whatever I want because everything matters. Should I say that again? God does exist. I can't do whatever I want because everything matters. When you begin to see things through this lens, you feel weight, you feel responsibility, and you begin to say, not only do the good things in my my life matter, but the idle things in my life matter. The words that I speak, the mindset that I have, the attitude that I carry, the dreams in my heart, the, um, the things that go in through the gates of my life, my eyes, my ears. All of these things matter. Even the tough things, the heartbreak you experience matters and ultimately matters to God. And this is what I love about God is every detail of your life matters. And see, the enemy who is an image bearer destroyer is all about making you believe and for you to be deceived in myself that none of these things matter, that our existence is just pointless, that the words we speak, the lives we live, the families we raise, that it doesn't matter. It has no longevity. It has no eternal significance. But we understand that these things matter. You know, before Jesus stepped onto the scene and shortly after, you read the readings of Paul, Paul would be confronting these Greek mythological gods. And so when he's coming in, just like we read in Acts 17, when Paul stands on Mars Hill and sees the description of all the gods, and then he sees, well, they didn't leave one out, they said, to an unknown god. He's like, well, that's my cue. I'm going to tell you about this unknown god that you don't know. So they had lowercase g gods for everything. And as you understand, when Jesus steps onto the scene, people are going to say, well, who's this god and why is he different? There's they, they weren't atheists. They believed that there was a higher power. Um, so Jesus had to break into the scene and had to demonstrate why he was the son of God and why he was the one true God. You know, there was, there was as I was just preparing it and looking into this, there was um, actually a Middle Eastern God. And the way that this Middle Eastern God uh, would work is you would bring this sacrifice, right? If you were in need, why would you come to these gods? You wanted to have a baby. Maybe you were barren and you couldn't give birth. Um, you had a, a need that you need met. Maybe your harvest was poor or, and you were, debtors were coming and you would be enslaved. You put the circumstance, they would run to these gods hoping that they would get favor or that you know, their prayers would be answered. 
And when you actually study these Greek mythology, Greek mythology gods, is yes, they had this supposed wisdom, and yes, they could give um, you know strategy and insights to life. But one thing you never see, as I was studying this, is you never see them actually described as good. Right? They weren't good to their people. They wanted to be worshipped. They wanted the sacrifice. And if you can see where I'm going, Jesus flips it all upside down. He's the one who's good. He's the one who is the sacrifice. So there's this Middle Eastern God, and, and what the, the role of worship would be to this God, if you really wanted to show you're serious, you would actually cut yourself, and you would begin to bleed, and you would let that blood run down your arm, and you would shake it before this God to get, your, get this God's attention. And you would make your request known. And so this was the place that it would go. So you have to understand it. And I give that description because Jesus steps into the scene. And these are the mindsets and gods that he's confronting. So if he were to take this God and address it, I think he would say a little something like this. Is not only is he the one true God, but he is a just God, and he knows our name. Not only does he care, he knows every hair on your head. Not only does he love you, hear this, he took on a body to shed his blood for you. You don't have to cut yourself for his attention. He allowed himself to be beaten and broken to get your attention. This is the difference of Christianity, that you don't have to get God's attention He's trying to woo you and get your attention. And this is why we don't judge everybody's season of life, um, literally. We have to look and we have to see God's working in all mysterious ways. God's working behind the scenes. God's working in front. God's working to the sides. How God works can look different. And maybe you're getting one picture or one perception of God's work on that person's life. And now, the pastor in me and in the church to get people to mature and to grow spiritually, like Paul says, we're to hold each other accountable. We're to judge fruit. We're to look at people's choices, not definitively and say X, Y, Z, but say, hey, I love you. This lifestyle, this habit isn't God's best for you. Let's talk this out. Let's work through this, right? That we are to push our brothers and sisters in Christ to God's best. We're to train up our kids for God's best in his word, teaches us this. And so understanding what Jesus steps onto the scene, our worldview, how we're supposed to view these things, is Jesus takes the keys of death and he overwhelms death, he overwhelms grief, so that you and I don't have to be overwhelmed by it. It even says that death is swallowed up in victory. And the reason I bring up death, because death is the, is, is usually the point of breaking in most people's lives. You lose a loved one, you lose a child. Um, death is the point of if anything can overwhelm you, it's usually revolved around the sensitive subject of death. We don't like talking about death. We, we mentioned this last week. But Jesus covers everything and on both extremes to every little issue and thing of, of our lives that if we bring it to him, we can have joy instead of being overwhelmed by said thing. And see, if the gigantic secret to Christianity is joy, if we were to be honest 
with the landscape of Christianity, would the first response be, oh, that is a joyful group of people, right? If someone were to follow you, a private detective, and just take notes on your life, your routines, your habits, your God, prayer that never happens, right? Someone were to just get the inner workings of your life. Would they put anywhere on there, they are a joy. There's just so much joy. And this is how you got to think and just get real with yourself about. I like this definition. Joy is the abiding and pervasive sense of well-being. Joy is the abiding and pervasive sense of well-being. It's a knowing. It is a abiding in him that no matter what, everything's going to be okay. No matter the circumstance, God is with me. No matter the pain, the peril, the problem, I have the hope, the help, the healing of the Holy Spirit. It's not forgetting in your moment of defeat, in your moment of failure, who your God is. And this is what the enemy will always do. This is his deception. This is his path to get you off from looking to a God who's good, a God who loves, a God who is just. So we've got to ask ourselves this question. Why don't we have this? Why don't we have it? Why don't we have a more mature understanding of it? Why don't we have a fuller dose of it? Why do we skip by and why do we skim through of just getting from one thing to the next, living in survival mode uh, versus living and having a quiet soul that is, is joyful, that is sober-minded, that is ready to deal with the issues of life as they come because they're coming and they're here. There's this term, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, but it's called a practical atheist. The reason you don't have joy is because you might not realize it, but you could be a practical atheist. Practical atheist, the big idea says this, it says, I believe God, but it hasn't changed the way I live. It's up here, but it hasn't fleshed out out here. You believe God, but it hasn't changed the way you live. It could be said like this too. I believe God exists, but I don't live like I believe God exists. I believe God has a plan for my life, but I don't live like he has a plan for my life. I believe God loves me, but I don't live like God loves me. You know, everyone has, a, has to have a self-talk game, a prayer life, a, a place where you encourage yourself in the Lord. The enemy wants to rob that too, if you didn't know it. Because your biggest enemy, many of the times, can be your inner me. It's not this opposing force. It's the, in, the inside of you, your self-talk, when you process a situation, you can so beat yourself up before you even step into it. You have no confidence. You are riddled with uncertainty. And you've got to talk to yourself and remind yourself that you were somebody, you personally, that you were worth dying for. No ifs, ands, or buts. If it was just you, Jesus would have died for you, right? You've got to talk to yourself and remind yourself that you are a recipient of infinite grace and patience, thank God. Um, you need to know this too, you don't have to be, uh, 
your best self for Jesus to love you and consistently and perpetually love you. Um, you need to talk to yourself that he is a good father that calls you son or daughter and says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You know, when my kids, Daniel comes to me, he's got all the questions and she probably gets 95% of them and I get about 5% of them because it's always, hey mom, hey mom, hey mom, hey mom, hey mom. But then when it's mixed company, it's hey mom. But then when it's just myself, it's all, hey dad, hey dad, hey dad, hey dad. You're right. We know how kids do. And there can be a point, uh, a point where maybe it just gets annoying because it's the level of constant question. Daniel's at that age. But if you can really take a step back and see the moment, it's like our Heavenly Father, where he would rather us come to him and talk to him, say, hey God, hey God, hey God, hey God, hey God, than run to something else to find the issue or the answer to our problems. So as a good father, I will take every question as petty or as, as cute as it may be, and knowing I'm planting seed for the future when he actually is wrestling the issues of life and has real questions about faith, all of these things, that that relationship is, is established where I, I changed your diaper. I did all these other little things. You have that confidence to come to me then and it's been built upon. And the same is with our relationship with God, that he is a good father who loves for us just to come and commune and to talk with him. So we see that we can have this practical atheist mindset. Let's not have that. Let's not operate in that. Number two is we can be a conditional Christian. You ever bought a house? Many of us have bought houses, many houses will buy a house, something, rentals, a contract. I'm talking of, you have this contract, and if you actually read through the contract, you'll see so many conditions. And these conditions are, you know, you put all these things in there that if one of these conditions isn't met, then you have an out to the contract, either party, either side. Many times we approach our, our faith like this is where we have this list of tangible conditions, maybe we verbally say it, or maybe we don't say it, but we think it and we feel it, and we put these conditions in place with God, that if he doesn't meet X, Y, Z, then I'm not all in. We say, God, you gotta meet these conditions before I sign on the dotted line. And if you've ever been in, in a contract or a negotiation, you know things can, can go pretty south pretty quick. Sometimes things can be smooth, but yeah. You have the contract in place so you can get out when it's not favorable conditions or conditions aren't met. And my fear is, is that we can be conditional Christians where we've put all these places and conditions and things to where we don't have to fully commit. We don't have to fully surrender. You've heard of a fair weather fan. You're still a Bengals fan, you've made it through, but we don't wanna be fair weather Christians. We only show up when it's easy. We only show up when there's a blessing. We only show up when someone's gonna use us or mention our name. But where are you when conditions are unfavorable? Where are you when it doesn't make sense? You can still struggle and be present because the enemy is after, he wants to keep you out of reality, keeping you out of the present moment. See, uncertainty wants to get you so caught up and well, with this decision, I'm gonna get double-minded and what's the next five years gonna look like? When Jesus is like, 
I'm not even worried about the next five years right now. I'm right here in your moment. Let's be right here and talk it through. You know, as we, apparently November is Christmas season now, so as we're in Christmas season, um, come on, some of you have your Christmas tree up already. Where are you? You're here. I know, yeah, you're there. Yep. Um, some of you are traditional. It's Thanksgiving. Some of you are like, you're, we're lucky to even get a Christmas tree up. But as even you think of the Christmas story, you think of when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and gives her this amazing news that she is going to conceive Christ. She'll conceive as a virgin. And um, she only asks one question. She says, how is this going to be done? Because I'm a virgin, right? And then the angel gives the instruction. You'll be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And she simply just says yes. And if you read in Luke chapter one, this account, she says yes. And then it says abruptly, the angel leaves. And I was thinking about this, that if I'm in that situation, and if I'm the angel Gabriel talking to Mary, I'm gonna give some more conditions and say, hey, I know you're gonna get pregnant. It's gonna make no sense how it's gonna happen. Uh, but it's, you know, it's gonna be okay. You're gonna have to get on a donkey and you're going to have to walk many, many miles as a pregnant woman, but you're going to be okay, right? Get into some of the details and kind of equip Mary and Joseph that uh, what the, the journey is going to look like. But the angel Gabriel doesn't reveal any of that, doesn't give, make things a little more certain or a little more concrete. Just says you're going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. There's going to be mystery. There's going to be miracle to it. And what you have to understand about uncertainty is this is you gotta fall in love with the process because that's where you find the joy is in the process, not in, in the destination. You're gonna get joy at the destination, but don't rob yourself of joy in the process because that's where you're gonna really intake and enjoy the end goal. So don't be this conditional Christian. Let the conditions go and trust God. You know, I said a few weeks ago that um, Jesus says to us is, I love you as you are. But his response to us, will you love me as I am? Many times we say, Jesus, thank you for loving me as you are. But then we cut the covenant short and say, I don't know about this area over here. I got a condition and I can't fully love you as you are. Because it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of, of the living God. We don't understand it. We can't control it. It's faith. And if you're going to get a deposit, if you're going to get an infusion of joy, it comes through faith. And you've got to activate your faith. You've got to grow in faith. And see, joy as well, joy is not the end goal. Jesus is the end goal. And by the byproduct of falling in love with Jesus, growing closer to Jesus, walking with Jesus, is you get the joy. So don't get to Jesus just to skip over him and get to the joy, because that'll leave you, that'll be fleeting. You gotta get to Jesus, and as you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, like we sang this morning, you're gonna go over and you're gonna pick that fruit of joy, and you're gonna be able to eat from it consistently. It's gonna be a tree that never dies in your life. I wanna close with this, and Corey, if you would come this morning.
here's the big idea as well about joy I want to leave you with. It's just like joy is a choice just like love. We can either chase the feeling or choose the reality. So joy is a choice just like love. You can either chase the feeling or you can choose the reality. When I love my wife, I say, I love you for better or for worse. I love you in sickness and in health. I love you for richer or for poorer, right? That my love for her is not conditional. That when the going gets tough, I can get out. When the going gets tough, it, 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 we can get out of the contract, right? That a marriage just isn't a contract, it's a covenant. The same is with Jesus. It's, marriage is a picture to a greater covenant. And if you can see the reality of it this morning, that joy is a choice. And we're beckoned and called and pulled into to choose joy in the middle of the trial and in the middle of the tribulation. Bree read a little bit of it this morning, but I want you to hear James chapter one on choosing joy. It says this, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Anybody want some great joy? Well, here's your opportunity. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. I pray this morning you're not the unwavering person. And if you are, surrender it and get resolute. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a flower in the field. The hot sun rises, the grass withers, the little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievement. It's all of us. God blesses those, what a blessing, God blesses those who patiently endure testing, and temptation. Where are you at in the process? Endure patiently. But afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God's never tempting to do wrong. He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Don't be misled, brothers and sisters. Whatever is good, whatever and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created the lights in the heavens. Never changes, 
or cast a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. You're the prized possession this morning. Rest in that and receive it. The sorrows, the uncertainties, don't let them take your joy. Quite frankly, don't give them permission. See, we're the ones who give them permission to take our joy. So it's time to turn on the red light, say the permission's over, access is not granted. The circumstance has been evicted from my spirit. It's not gonna take my joy, that past event, that past trauma, that past relationship, it's over. Stake in the sand, I'm resolute. I'm gonna have to endure, I'm gonna have to, to wrestle through some things, but you're not wrestling alone. You're wrestling with him. You're wrestling with a father who says, son, daughter, come, let's do this together. I wanna speak to you. I wanna love on you. I want to spend time with you, give you instruction, give you wisdom, give you knowledge. You bow your head, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can choose joy over uncertainty. We can step out of the boat. Many of us have stepped out of the boat and we've sank. The enemy comes swiftly, but swifter the feet of grace. We have power over the enemy. He's given us authority. Father, let us not walk in fear. Let us not be paralyzed by a moment of uncertainty back of uncertainty be, bro be broken this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. I want you to hear this this morning as we pray. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. John 16, 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, so ask for joy, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Your tank's getting filled up right now in the name of Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is a fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's your happiness at the right, but not at the center. Psalms 118.24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. John 15.11, these things I have spoken to you that my, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Proverbs 10.28, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Psalm 71.23, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have Redeemed. Psalms 33, 21, for our heart is glad in him 
because we trust in his holy name. Psalms 3011, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and closed me with gladness. Psalms 511, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. We know that Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you future and to give a hope. Last but not least, 1 Peter 4, 13, but rejoice in it so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. No cross, no crown. Jesus, we just rest and allow joy to be infused within our spirit this morning. Fill our minds, fill our hearts, and let joy come out of our hands. Let it come out of our mouth. Let joy be the proof. Let it be the gigantic secret of our lives that we be a joyful people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.